Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday, and I'll do something about Purim today. As promised, uh, today is being sponsored by the Radomsky family, the same ones as the early week. They, as I mentioned, they have Simplas in the family and all that. They asked me to do the one on Purim for there. Maybe by the time Purim comes around, maybe I'll have another one. I'll see. Well, if, if I find somebody to back it. Anyway, but I do thank the Radomskys for their help. And now, let me... Um, I was asked by someone else to say over something I said in Muncie last year in the context of Purim, uh, I would refer to this as Purim in meta-history, Esther versus Ezra. And i explain what I mean. I think everybody's familiar with the famous Gemara that says that Esther said, I want to be included in the Bible. Right? Kisvuni Lodoros. And the Chachamim at that time didn't want to do it. He said, You're going to cause anti-Semitism, jealousy, because Rashi said we're going to be rejoicing in their Mapal. To this day, a lot of people who are not Jewish are turned off by the fact that Queen Esther carried out a massacre of the anti-Semites and so on and so forth. And men, women, and children, including Haman's children and, and, and all. It's a matter of your perspective. So the Chacham at that time foresaw this, and they said we refuse. But she forced their hand, we're told, because she says, Far it's already in the Geisha books, in the history books, and they know about it. So there's no point in hiding it. I'll repeat, she didn't she didn't dispute the fact they might not be crazy over the story, but uh, even Yisro was not crazy over hearing about the Mapal of Egypt. Remember Rashi says? But it, it, it's out there anyway. So we might as well put the Jewish spin on it. That is the famous story. Now, where the Chacham coming from? Uh, and who are the Chachamin? So, I'm going to show you a different way of doing history or meta history. We're dealing with the era of Purim, which is obscure in history because it's what they call the Persian Gulf. You know, the years don't work out in regular history, and Achashverosh and the other guys don't work out in regular history. But putting that aside for now, anybody's interested in, in a subject whatsoever, you can um, just get a hold, if you're from, you get a hold of the Art Scroll Second Temple History book. In the back, there's a two or three page essay by Rabbi Goldworm from Guy. And, uh, you know, he'll give you it all back and forth of what we call the Persian chronology problem. And and, and Esther, Mordechai, and Haman, and, and Achashosh fit exactly into that. But stipulating that, and going with the Chazal business, so uh, we're talking about a situation in which they're like a couple of Persian kings, right? And uh, what do you call it? Uh, there's Cyrus and then uh, Darius and Achashverosh and so forth and so on. And after Achashverosh comes Darius II, which would be the son of Esther, more, more or less. We'll see. Whatever. So um, 
The point is as follows. If you read the book of Ezra, not Esther, Ezra. So it's about 10 chapters. And it's two halves. Up to chapter 7, I think, Ezra doesn't even appear in the story. And for 7, 8, 9, 10, it's about this guy named Ezra. So what is the first six chapters? Is a history of how the second temple was built. And it's got stops and starts, which are which remarkably parallel the story of modern Zionism, state of Israel, and all that kind of business. You understand? That, that, that's that's what it is. So how's it how's it happen? Like as follows. If you read the book of Ezra, in English, I have the living knock in front of me. It says starts by saying that as we know, the base mission was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Jews were in Gaul's bubble for 70 years. And then in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, etc., 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 God aroused the spirit of Cyrus, and he issued the following decree. Koresh, Cyrus the Great. It says, Thus say Cyrus the king of Persia, God in heaven has given me all the kings in the earth, and God instructed me to build him a base on Migdash in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all this people, let him go to Jerusalem and build the house of God of Israel. And anyone remains behind can send contributions to the Jewish National Fund. Let his people of his district support him with silver and gold and goods and livestock, etc. So basically, from this remarkable story, without, and I'm not going to spend time going into this, I think everybody knows, Cyrus, the king of Persia, said the Jews can go back from Babel, go back to Israel, repopulate Israel, and um, and what do you call it? And build a base in Migdash. Hashem even told me to do so. However, that's to be interpreted. And so the result was, the story goes on in, in verse 5 in chapter 1, the chiefs of the Jude and Benjamite clans and the Kalanim of Levim all got up, and the people sent him J and F uh, contributions, and he even gave him some of the killing based on Migdash, and there's an inventory. And then, the question is how many went, and a small number went relative, relative to the whole. As you read in chapter 2, this is the first Aliyah, so, you know, something like 40-some thousand people. Assuming that there was a lot more than that left behind, and they didn't leave Babel, as we all know, and that's a controversy of its own. So the first group of Aliyah, 40-some thousand, traveled from Babel to Israel. They arrived at Jerusalem. When the seventh month had come, that's chapter 3, they started building the base of Megush. In fact, they started offering carbonus right over there. That's the famous Gemara, you know, Achilobona Habayis. And uh, they set up the altar and its foundation because they were scared of the Goyim, and so on and so forth, and they celebrated Sukkot. Okay? So far, so good. Um, now, uh, then they started working seriously on building base Amigdash. At that point, uh, and even have a ceremony, what we would call today groundbreaking ceremony, the old people cried, the young people laughed, and whatever. Now, carrying the chapter four, this is four out of six chapters, the uh, Arabs heard about it, the Samaritans, the Kusim, the Ammon, and all this other stuff, and they said, we're Jewish too, we want to join you in building a base in Migdash, and the Jewish leaders said, hit the road, you're not Jewish. So they got angry and at this rejection, and therefore, in verse 4 it says, the people of the land said about demoralizing the people of Judah and making them afraid to build, so in other words, they, they, they started, like the Arabs did with the uh, early kibbutzim and all that, you know, started shooting at them, this, that, and the other, and they hired advisors, or what you and I today would call lobbyists, to thwart their plans throughout the days of King Cyrus 
down to the reign of King Darius. So in other words, they succeeded in getting a stop order, and the stop order lasted from the time of Cyrus. In other words, he changed his mind, and they, from then on they couldn't build, down to Darius, the king who's after Achishverosh. Right? So by tradition, it's 18 years. In, and it says, in the reign of Achishverosh, our, our uh, hero, in the reign of Achishverosh, at the beginning of his reign, they draft an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So that's a little bit out of order. But uh, And during the reign of Artaxerxes, Artaxasta, uh, the following guys wrote a letter to the king, and they basically said in the letter, and the letter is in chapter 4 in the book of Ezra, if you let the Jews build this kingdom, then you're going to find out that the Jews will declare independence and rebel against you. Let it come to the king's attention that the Jews who came up from your region have reached Jerusalem and are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. That's what these lobbyists say. Um, may I point out that one of the people who is uh, writing the letter against the Jews is, at least by our tradition, the son of Haman. It's Rechum and Shimshai. Shimshai is supposed to be the son of Haman. He plays a role in the Gemara. Anyhow, the king had better realize if this city is rebuilt, you'll have no more taxes and it's a rebellious city, and insurrection was rife in it, etc., etc. The king, meaning Cyrus, uh, bought into this, and he said, the letter you, you sent me was read in translation. I ordered a historical investigation of the records, because what does he know from old history? And uh, indeed, you're right, powerful kings used to rule there, and maybe you're, you're exactly right, maybe they'll declare rebellion. And so I, Cyrus, hereby order this whole plan to be stopped. And when the king's... Now, it's confusing. I just want to warn you. If you're the reader and you read this book of Ezra, they use the names in a weird way. Sometimes they say Artachshasta and they really mean Cyrus. Sometimes they say Daryavish and mean Achashverosh. That is the real, real meaning of the famous Gemara, which is confusing. In the beginning, Rosh Hashanah, which says, Who covers who Artachshasta, who Daryavish, which simplistically means that all those figures are identical, which is crazy, because they're not. There was a King Cyrus. And as you and I know, there's another guy called Achashverosh. And as you and I know, there's another guy called Atashast, and so forth. What they really, really mean, this is my understanding anyway, is that these names are used interchangeably, and when it says one, it might mean the other. So to use Americanisms, it's like I told you, I'm actually using Trump and Roosevelt and Kennedy interchangeably. And uh, sometimes when I say Kennedy, I really mean Trump. And sometimes when I Trump, I really mean Kennedy. It's a certain way of writing. So they stopped it. It says when the text was read uh, before Rechum and Shimshai, they stopped the Jews. And at that time, the work in the temple came to a halt and remained in abeyance until the second year of Darius. Now, 18 years went by. Listen, I'm reading you what it says in the book of Ezra. 18 years went by. Then, in chapter 5, the prophets Chagah and Zechariah said, get off your doves and start building. And so they start building. So notice, 18 years later... Um, this is the way it's presented in the Sefer Ezra. And it's identical with what you find in Sefer Chagai. That, you know, call my Hashem, start building. So it's funny. For 18 years, garnished. And all of a sudden, the Navi says, now start. And immediately, they started rebuilding. So the Persian governor, this is 18 years later, named Tatnai, shows up and he said, who authorized you, it says in, in chapter 5, to rebuild the temple and complete the walls? And what, what are the names of the people participating in the building? And he sent a letter, which is in the book of Ezra, in chapter 5, in which he says, 
to King Darius all peace. Let it come to the attention. We recently visited Judah and the Temple of the Great God, and they're building it like crazy. And when we asked them, who authorized you to rebuild it? Here's what the Jews replied. Listen closely. The Jews said, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was originally built many years ago. A great king in Israel built it and completed it. So basically, we're not building a brand new temple. We're rebuilding on the site of the old temple, which was built by Shlomo Melch a thousand years ago. However, because our fathers anchored the God of heaven, he destroyed the temple. But in the first year of King Cyrus, Cyrus reauthorized the rebuilding of the temple and even took the Caleb out of base of you know, from, uh, from Pablo and gave it to us. Okay? So now it's been under construction ever since. It's not completed. You know, it's a government job, right? It's a government job. In economy, we've been working it for 18 years. It's a union, you know what I mean? It's the union race. Well, I can tell you, it's, it's, it's uh, one of those uh, socialist countries. So we started building 18 years ago. What, what can I tell you? Now, you see from over here that this Persian guy is new. He has no institutional memory. They did not have computers, obviously, and records the way we have today. There were records of a certain sort, but not the instantaneously, you know, retrieval ones the way we have today. He shows up in Jerusalem. He knew that there was a, a building was not being built. All of a sudden, the Jews are building it. He says, Vas Tutsuch. And they say, oh, we've been doing this all the time, even before you came. Okay? Which, of course, was not true. Now, wait a minute. It's true and it's not true. It's what you call the truth, not the whole truth. Correct? Uh, yes, Cyrus gave him permission. Yes, they started building it. And yes, they didn't finish it. But they're omitting, obviously, that Cyrus um, gave a stop order. They didn't tell him that. So they told him the truth, but not the whole truth. And they said it's been under construction of the king. So now the Persian governor writes to the king, and he says, if it please the king, make a search of the royal archives to find out, is it taka true that King Cyrus allowed him to rebuild the temple and then send me your uh, desire in this manner? Now we come to the very important chapter 6 in the book of Ezra, which speaks volumes. And chapter 6 says, King Darius issued an order to search the archives. Uh, so, you know, he's the king now. We're talking about something from a few years earlier. So to use modern American uh, uh, analogy, if Biden wants to look up something that happened during George Bush the first or something like that, or the first administration of Clinton, you know, whatever. Now, nowadays we have a whole elaborate record-keeping system. They had a, they had an elaborate system, but not like ours. Nothing at all like it. But they had records of decrees. And so he ordered a search to be made by the librarian staff and uh, in Babylon, meaning the king's headquarters were in the city of Babel. So the royal archives are mainly located in Babel, but it turned out it wasn't there. Instead, it was in Fort Knox, in Fort Benning. It was in Montana, meaning the government had so much archives, letters and stuff like that, that the extra stuff they put out in warehouses out in Yennervelt. So it says, it was in the provincial palace of Medea that a scroll encased in a canister was found. So um, they couldn't find what they're looking for, it seems, in Bovell. Uh, as we would say today in the Library of Congress. But even the Library of Congress forms out a, a ton of stuff out to, um, you know, branches to hold physically all the books. So they found it in somewhere else, in in, in, in some province, in Maudai. And, and upon it was written the following. 
Quote, memo, in the first year of Cyrus, this is a Persian document. In the first year of Cyrus, Cyrus issued an order concerning the base of Migdash in Jerusalem. Quote, let the temple be rebuilt, where they offered Carbonus, and let its foundations be strengthened, 60 cubits high, 60 wide. So Cyrus even gave what you call permission in terms of the architectural plans. Three tiers of heavy stone and one of timber. The expenses paid by the palace. And even the gold and silver candle and base of Migdash should give back to the Jews. Everyone should go back to the palace. Everyone, all the candles should go back to the place and base of Migdash put in the temple of God. End of the memo. So the king is saying, we made a search, I ordered a search, and we found, indeed, the document that says that King Cyrus, so and so many years ago, 20-some years ago, gave permission for the Jews. Uh, now, there's a memo. You know what that means. There was an original document that they did not find, but they found what we would call today a short summary of, uh, of the document, which is very often what they do when they, especially in the old records. There's the long original document, and then there's the, the one for reference purposes that gives you the precy of the whole thing. And then the king goes on to say, now, Tatnai, you governor, and you other guys out there, stay away from the Jews. Allow the, the, the temple of God be rebuilt. Let the leaves of the Jews be built it, and don't mess with them. Furthermore, I, the king, issue an order that you should help them, right? And all the expenses should pay out of the king's resources, taken from the taxes of the country, so that the work not be interrupted. And whatever these Jews need, bulls, rams, lambs, and so forth and so on, oil, wine, salt, give it to them without fail, so that they will offer carbonus on my behalf for my welfare and the welfare of the royal family. I issue a decree, meaning Darius is saying, I issue a decree. Whoever alters this, meaning anyone who interferes with this rebuilding a base of Migdash, shall have the beam of his house pulled down and he will be impaled on it. You know what that means? They turn you into a barbecue. They, they, they take a, a piece of wood out of your house and stick it right through you. And his house will be turned into a trash heap as a result of this. And the king concludes, And may the God whose name dwelled in that temple cause the downfall of any nation or king who messes with this decree and tries to destroy the base of Migdash. I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be swiftly carried out. And so it says, Tatna immediately went and helped the Jews and they rebuilt the base of Migdash and so on and so forth. And the day, by the way, was three Adar. Not, uh, no, it was the other day. If I wanted to, I could have done a podcast on that. That's a McGill's Tiny Day. You understand? The, the the second temple was concluded, the construction, on the third of Adar. And they had a part, a, a celebration, etc., etc., etc. Now, uh, that brings us to the end of chapter 6. Now, what's if you follow what I just read, which is not hard, you'll notice Iker Chosim and Asafer. There's something really missing in that story. Why didn't the Persians say, Yes, Cyrus issued order number one, but he also issued order number two. You understand? He he did give permission to rebuild the base of Migdash, but then he changed his mind. You and I know that. We just read in the story. Right? How could it be that the lobbyists on behalf of the Arabs didn't bring that up? When they got word the Jews are starting to rebuild, the PLO and the Hamas and the Hezbollah and so forth they immediately go to the king of Persia and say, I guess the Jews are cheating. Cyrus said, you have to stop it. How come we don't hear about this? Why does it say they found the first uh, the decree and everything was 
was a hoity-toity. You know, everything was great. Something is missing from the Sefer. Now, if you use your common sense, you do a little bit of chronology, and you tie this together with the Purim story, I repeat the Purim story, you see what's happening. Namely, this is uh, 18 years. So it's Cyrus, Darius I, and then Achashverosh, and now it's the, the next king. Well, let me ask you the following question. This next king, Darius II, whose son is he? What's the name of his mother? You see where I'm going? What's the name of his mother? Is it Esther? Yes. Now, wait a minute. How old is this king? Well, let's work this out. According to what we're told in the Jewish tradition, say Rolam, Ahasuerus lasted about 14 years on the throne, if I remember correctly. So, and the story of Purim happened, I think, in the 13th year or something like that. So, to make a long story short, she had a baby. She had his baby. L- l- let me explain. The way we're told, uh, the story of Esther is a story of rape up to a certain point. Right? Uh, she was Batilo Kach Esther. She was taken against her will. Now I'm giving you the rabbinic reading of the story, the Chazal. She was she was forced to participate, especially if she was an ancient Zish. If you go to Esther, she's already married Mordechai. Her, her orders were to shut up and not tell anybody. She she was Karka Olam. So that's another way of saying like this. Yes, she was with the king for X number of years because I think she was taken in the seventh year. So she became the queen and she was there for X number of years. But she didn't want to be there for a certain minute. So she was always sullen and uh, and she didn't like being there. And Achashverosh was such a sick dog, you know, that this turned him on. <laughs> That's what we're told. He was a sick dog. And by the way, don't think that once he fell in love with Esther, he didn't have time for other girls. Right? Even after he chose Esther, he still kept up the contest based on the fact of what the heck, why not? So the guy was a sick dog. Okay? This is the sad fate of Esther. She was stuck with this guy. And for some reason or another, the fact that she was a Karkaolam didn't bother him. Okay? So, if he wanted other experiences, he had 10,000 otherwise. For some reason, for the specific slot of queen, the way she carried herself, the Chut Shal Chesed, and so on and so forth. And anyway, Esther was the only girl probably, not from Dundalk, one of these Ozark hillbilly situations. And so she liked her class, you know? But whatever the case is, she was the queen, uh, but she had no. Uh, their unions did not produce any children, as the Gemara puts it. Esther Mishameshes Bemoch. She was practicing birth control. Those who are interested in the sugya uh, nowadays of uh, birth control, which is always Nogea, you know, one of the classic places you go to is is the Rashi and Tosus and all that on Queen Esther. I'm not going to go into that now. I'm just saying that's a classic a Talmudic source. She was Mishamesh's Bamoch. So, um, so she practiced birth control. However, that's true until the decree of Haman. When, which took place on the 13th of Nisan. What, in the 13th year, is it? The 12th year, 13th year? And I'm going somewhere with this. And so, 
when the decree of Homer was issued, Lahashmid Lahari is called Yehudim. So then she said like this now I'll have to go not as Karka Olam. Now I'll have to go to try to win over the king, even though really she didn't want to do it. But the circumstances compel her to do it. So I'm going to have to come on to him and uh, and she's going to have a child. You see? And uh, it's from this union that takes place at the porn time when she slept with the king, and that's where the baby is. Okay, fine. So, if you follow what I just said, it means that by the time the poor story is over, uh, Achashosh had like a year to live. And so if she had a baby, the baby's one year old, two years old at the time of the death of Achashosh. I'm not taking the trouble now to get up and look and say we're all in the exact years. It's a baby, okay? That's the next king of Persia, according to the Jewish tradition. That's our Tachshachta and Yavish in the book of Nehemiah and so forth. Now, okay, my friends, so what's happening in chapter 6 of Ezra? Um, 18 years have gone by. Achashurish died. Maybe Esther poisoned him for all I know. I don't know. Then, there's a new king. But the king's a baby. It's a regency. Who's the prime minister at the time? Mordechai. Who, who's the king's... Uh, uh, you know, number one assistant, Nehemiah. You see where I'm going with this? Is the Jews had a situation in place. They had like a Jewish network over there at the center of the royal palace. And Mordechai was a smart cookie. Mordechai knew how to, uh, to be a successful politician. It took up a lot of time. If you want to be real from me, you say he stopped learning so much, etc., 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 like the ones, but whatever that is. So the fix is in. Uh, that is why, by the time you get to the 18 years after the original stop order, the power situation has radically changed. It's no longer Obama, it's Trump. <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind of thing. You follow? Now, hold on for a minute. That is why God tells the prophet okay, now's the time to move. The the ducks are all in a row and uh, the government is under is, is in from hands and if you go and start building base, make sure it'll work. And the people listen to the Navi. The Persian guy shows up, I'm sure it was Arab lobbyists. They say, what are you doing? The Jews play dumb. And they say, well, we've been working on this for 18 years. The guy writes to the king of Persia. Wait a minute. The king of Persia is two years old, three years old, four years old, whatever. You, you see where I'm going? The king of Persia is a baby, a young kid. So when you're writing the king of Persia, who's answering the letters? Who's running the show? Who's the prime minister? And so here's this guy called Mordechai. He's getting a letter from Jerusalem, and the fix is in. And the question was, uh, what happened with this Jewish project of building Beis I know nothing about it. I'm a new governor, Tatnai. This happened a couple of administrations ago. It wasn't even on the previous king, Achashverosh. And it wasn't under the king before him, Daryavish I. It was under Cyrus, Koresh. So I don't know what's happening. Remember, this is thousands of years ago. 
they don't have uh, you know internet. They certainly don't have libraries like we have today with the instantly retrievable info. The Persian Empire is 127 provinces. They keep records. I mean, it was a it was a, a, a bureaucratically run empire. The Persian Empire was actually run fairly efficiently. If you know your history, they had an excellent post office system. For example, they had a royal road. They got you from Constantinople to Susan in 11 days, which is quicker than was the case in the 19th century. They had an impressive show, but, you know, instantly retrieval records they didn't have. They had central location for important records. For They had records of, of uh, royal decrees and things like that, but they're scattered like the Library of Congress all over the place. So here's Mordechai. You get a letter from the governor of the Persians in the, uh, that part of the world. He said, I've been in Jerusalem. The Jews are building a temple. What exactly should I do? And make a search of the archives, it says. Mordechai orders a search of the archives. Well, let me put it this way. He orders a certain type of search of the archives. The document they're looking for, they found, even though it was in Montana, in Saskatchewan, right? It was found in a canister, in a castle, in Ekvelt, out in Modai, in media, far away from the uh, center of the headquarters. It wasn't found with the regular records in Bobo. Now, you're going to ask me a question, but I'm sure the lobbyist said, but Cyrus changed his mind. So I'm going to say to you, who said? That's a lie. I said, well, we're not lying. Cyrus changed his mind. Now, you might say like this, what about institutional memory? Do people remember? You think when you're running the Persian Empire, 127 promises, people remember all the little things that Cyrus did all the time? To you and I, we're Jewish. So what happens with the Jewish situation in Jerusalem is of central importance to us. But imagine if you're a Syrian, a Babylonian, a Persian. It's like I'm asking you what happened with the governor in um, Oklahoma last week. No, we don't know. So the only thing you do is you look at the records. So I'm sure the lobbyists said like this. Koresh changed his mind and he ossered the, the continuation of the building of the temple. And so did Achashverosh. Mordechai, who's the head of the administration, is like this. All right, we'll look for it. But you know what I mean. Look for you. Gee whiz, they didn't find it. Son of a gun, I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> the letter they wanted to find, they found. The letter they didn't want to find, didn't find. Or more likely, if I know what happened, if you ask me, Mordecai said, I guess, give me all the necessary documents, and he burned <laughs> He burned the ones he didn't want to have. And he went over something, an administrative situation, in the old-fashioned administrative situation, you burned the records that didn't happen. There's no record of it. You burned the records that didn't happen. And so, the document they wanted to find, they found verbatim, the memo. The one they did want to find, they didn't find. And then the king says, let the Jews rebuild the temple and help them, and, and may God strike down dead anyone who messes with that. A four-year-old king didn't write that, so who wrote that? You see, you see where I'm going? I'm Mordecai wrote it. All right? How come me, myself and I, can put two and two together? How come this is not in the book of, of Ezra? How come this is not Book of Ezra? I'll go even farther. I'll read you chapter 7 when our hero Ezra does show up. Because what it says is that um, in chapter 7, Ezra launched an aliyah. He came there right after the base of Mesh was built in order to be Mechazic to Yiddishkeit. After going through all these uh, uh, details about how he organized his group, it says here's a letter that Ezra got from the king, right? And it said, Arta Shasta, a letter to Ezra the priest, and so forth. I, the king, hereby issue an order 
Anyone in my kingdom or the people of the Jews can go with you to Jerusalem, etc. For you have officially been designated by the king and his advisors to ascertain that the people of Judah and Jerusalem adhere to the laws of God as you determine them. Huh? The king of Persia is appointing Ezra to make sure that all the Jews on the other side of the kingdom are Shemr Shabbos? <laughs> the king cares about that? To transport all the gold and silver over there for the base of Migdash with which you'll purchase carbonus, etc., etc., etc. And I issue an order to all the governors. Anything this guy Ezra asks you, I give him a blank check. Up to a, give him whatever he wants. Up to a, this this sum and that sum. Let it all be done. And you by Ezra, this is the king writing, by the divine wisdom you possess, appoint magistrates and judges who know the laws of your God to judge the people and teach those who don't know them. So I hereby order you to set up a Sanhedrin, and a Torah Masora system. Right? my system. Really? The king of Persia gives a darn about that? And let anyone who does not obey the law of your God be swiftly killed and punished and this and that and the other. Now, this is uh, unbelievable. And then Ezra concludes the chapter piously by saying, Oh, thank, blessed is God of our fathers who puts such thoughts into the heart of the king to glorify the temple of Jerusalem and who caused the kings and his military generals to look favorably upon me. Now this is tongue-in-cheek if I ever seen it. This is disingenuous. I repeat, who? if this is six months after building base of Migdash, how old is the king of Persia? This little kid. Who wrote that letter? Ezra himself wrote it, mean, or, or Mordechai. Why doesn't anything mention this in the book of Ezra? These are extraordinary, remarkable events. Equaling the Purim story, you might say. And yet it's not there. And the reason is simple. Here you see the difference between Esther and Ezra. The opinion of the Chazal, Anshik Zegdoa, versus the Queen. She wants it out there. She wants the story told. They do not want the story told. It's not their style. It's, if, it's The right way to go is like this. If you won the game, you won the lottery, don't tell everybody. Suppose tomorrow you won the Powerball lottery, $200, $300 million. A dumbbell will say like this, guess what? I want all the money. A smart guy will do what? Shut up. You don't need everybody to come over and see Mazel Tov. The opposite. Just shut up. You know, leave town. Whatever you do. You understand what I'm saying? It's enough that we won. We don't have to stir up the guy and, and, and get him angry about it. The ickers that we won. So, in the book of Ezra, it doesn't say, ha, 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 ha. We made mincemeat out of the Arab lobbyists. They look like idiots. We walked all over Rechum and Shimshai and all these guys. We wiped the floor with them and all the rest of it. No, don't say that. There's no point. The point is to win the game. The point is not to get anybody angry at you win the game. The real way of winning the game is you won. It's a fact and nobody else knows about it. The Jewish way, the Chazal way, if it was up to them, it was up to them, no one would even ever, ever heard of a guy named Holman. You know what I'm it was up to Chazal, the book of Esther would never have been written. I, what about the story of Homer and all the rest of it? Who needs it? If we're up to the Chazal, we would not even have heard the name of Hitler today. It's not necessary. Because you want to know something? It just gives people ideas. Right? Hitler was inspired and others inspired by the Homan ideal. Hashem Dara is called Yudim. Who even has to know about such a thing? We don't want this. Now, Esther said, it's too late. All right, if it's too late, it's too late. Fire Ksuba was saved during the Machimara parts. But you see, the Chacham did it very reluctantly. There's two different styles in there. 
Which style is smarter? I don't know. You know, that's a from a conservative political theoretical point of view, the Chazal is smarter, right? As anyone listening to this podcast, if you're smart, you'll agree. Then if you won the lottery, you wouldn't tell anybody. Don't you think? You won You don't need to tell anybody. Uh, most important thing is to get it, not to go get the, the credit. But Esther didn't see it that way. Why didn't Esther see it that way? I can totally hear. She said, I'm the carpet in this whole story, right? Look what I had to put up with. So in 70 years, this way, and afterwards that way. I mean, I'm the Sarlazos I'm the I'm, I'm the carbon. Right? I sacrificed a lot for my people, which she did. No question about it. It's 100% true. Get it? She was a from girl, BJJ. She hated every minute being in the palace. Obviously. Obviously. You know, to her, being in the palace was a real bummer. She was condemned to that for the rest of her life. So she's like this. She says, you know, I did my part. Kasharavadati, avadati. Which literally means I'm ready to die, you know. She said, Lech knows to call Yehudim and so forth. And after we fast, I'll go to the king. She fully expected that she'll get killed on the way to the king. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do it. So uh, so she was a heroine. But she said, I, at least I want you know, it to be known. Because the worst thing in the world is when you do something out of genuine heroism and no one knows it. Not because you're looking for the credit. Because you want it to be considered a significant, you understand? You want it to be considered significant. So uh, I conclude by saying that the uh, story of Purim in this case reflects, I don't want to say a feminine sensibility, because it's not a Vartan feminine, but it's, this, it's, it's Esther's sensibility as opposed to Ezra's. Ezra's is just tell the story, and the reader, if he doesn't start to put two and two together, which is 99%. We'll never even realize what I just told you today. Even though it's not hard. I mean, I didn't come with any brilliant insight over here. Anybody puts the numbers together. Who was the king here? Who was the king there? How many years was this? 18 years later? Anybody can do what I just did. But very few people, I, I don't know anybody that does. Ezra relies on that veil of um, secrecy, or not secrecy, but uh, what's the right word? Lethargy? To to shield, uh, the you know, the success the Jews had in rebuilding the Second Temple. Otherwise, down to this day, they'd say, oh, the whole thing was a fake, and he lied to us, and he told us half-truth, and, uh, you know, therefore it doesn't count. What do you bring it all up for? Why, why, why mention it? So here we have two faces of Purim. Two faces of Purim. Uh, and you can decide which one you like better. We, God so ordered, organized things, that, uh, you know, Esther won. At <laughs> least in regard to Purim with all the consequences uh, that, that are attached to it. With that, I bid you a good week and a fail from I'm hoping this year, I usually, those who know me know, usually I have a seam in the house and this, that, and the other. I always have a dry Torah, uh, one of my zany hadrons. Uh, I'm not, I mean, I finished Megillah this year, but in the Corona, you can't have, you know, that kind of party. This is Baltimore, not Lakewood. And, uh, not exactly sure how to do it. I may do what I did the other day and just uh, record it, video it. And I'll, if I do, I'll put it on my uh, YouTube uh, site. And if you're interested in what I have to say, I have a good word for the Hadron, I think. 
If you're interested in that, then you can, um, by Purim, if you just go on the, on the YouTube site, you know, Rabbi David Katz History, whatever it is, uh, then, then you can watch it, if that's something you're interested in. Meanwhile, I thank the Radomskis. I wish everybody a freelich and porn. With that, I wish you, give you a good day. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.